Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast, powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac. Monday edition. It's a short week, the holiday week, and happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Dan McLaughlin with you is we will be with you today, tomorrow. And then on Wednesday, I'll be with you on Thursday as well, leading into the Thanksgiving games. And Friday, there is a kind of a best of show as we actually get to stay home and hang out, enjoy the family, probably be in a food coma, I would imagine. I know you will be, Scotty. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, I'll be looking forward to hopefully being in a food coma. I yeah. didn't uh, I didn't do the traditional Thanksgiving last year. I was moving my girlfriend uh, with me, and so I yeah. didn't get to eat a turkey, so I'm really looking forward to it this year. Okay, good. Uh, big plans for you? Are you guys staying at home? We're going to Kansas City, going to uh, her parents. Okay. Be careful. Socially distant. Absolutely. Right, right. Oh, okay. Just the five of us. All right. 65780-65780. That is the uh, text line. It was an interesting college football weekend. Florida State Clemson did not play. Debatable on the thoughts of Dabo Sweeney afterwards as to why they did or did not play, saying that Florida State didn't want to play him. Clemson had, what, a backup lineman that tested positive. Now, to Dabo's point, they did get on the plane. This is what would concern me if I'm Clemson. They got on the plane. They had a player that tested positive. They didn't know it at that time by all reports and accounts. And you got to be concerned about going forward. You're, you're in tight quarters on those planes, obviously. And then you get off and you're not sure about what happens moving forward. And he talked about, well, we, you know, basically paid 300 grand, 400 grand to go there, sit, go play or stay overnight, get ready to play. And then we don't play. And Clemson needs to get games under their belt just from a football perspective of just trying to qualify for the college football playoff and where they're going to get their rankings. So that part is interesting. I also find it interesting that will the voters look at Indiana and say, okay, now we say they're for real. So does Ohio State in the first rankings that come out, I believe it's tomorrow night, does it hurt them? I mean, they beat Indiana, but does it hurt them that they only won by a touchdown? They were up by three scores at one point at home, and then all of a sudden Indiana didn't go away. They just I, kept going and going and going. I think in some years it'll hurt them that they didn't dominate them. Not this one, though. I don't think it's going to be up for debate. If Ohio State goes undefeated and wins the Big Ten, I think they're automatically in. So this is Heather Denich from the College Football Insider ESPN, and she sizes up the favorites to make the college football playoff. I would be shocked if Alabama is not the selection committee's number one team. They have been far and away the most dominant team in college football. You look at their resume, they have wins against A&M and Georgia, both ranked teams. They're oozing Heisman talent. Mac Jones, at quarterback, is a Heisman candidate right now. They're just dominating opponents and they're number one in offensive efficiency. And then the second team, I think that has to be Notre Dame in the eyes of the committee because they do have the best win in the country right now. The double overtime win against Clemson. Ian Book at quarterback has played well. One of the reasons they're in the top 15 in offensive efficiency, but they're also one of the best teams in defensive efficiency as well. And then at number three, I think the undefeated Ohio State Buckeyes are hanging around in spite of a wobbly performance on defense and three 
turnovers from Justin Fields in the win against the Hoosiers, but they're on track to play in the Big Ten championship game, probably against Northwestern, and I think they earn the number three spot. And then when you look at number four, I think it goes to Clemson, which is interesting because that would be their top one loss team. And think about it, Clemson hasn't won since Halloween. They didn't play against Florida State. So it's been a while since we've seen the Tigers in action, but I do think they get that number four spot and the committee remembers how good Trevor Lawrence is. Yep, that's the key. Trevor Lawrence could be the best player in college football and that's something that you have to keep in mind moving forward. Also big news with the NBA from a local perspective this weekend. Very happy for this young man. Celtics with 67 points with 6.45 remaining. Tatum drives down and throws it down! Wow! Ball knocked away by Morris. Jason Tatum has electrified the crowd and the Celtics back with it too. Morris with Corver on him. Hill looking to help. Brown to Smart. Smart to Tatum. Sets, fires, three-pointer. Bang! Jason Tatum is about to get paid. I think it's about $195 million. And the young man from Chaminade, I think he's only 22, 23 years old when the start of the season begins, or at least into the season. And he has not even... I was reading a story, I think it was in Forbes. He has never used one dime of his endorsement money not really? one yeah that's so, awesome so he has been very very diligent with his money and uh now he's going to get 195 million for all his hard work and congratulations to jason tatum that's incredible it's so awesome i remember when he was at chaminade danny because i was in high school while he was too man and I, all of the hype that surrounded was this guy's gonna go play in the nba and it's, oh, yeah. it's like okay yeah i'm sure but he's got a long way to go and now to see him actually here and sign a max deal for me, it's so cool. To yeah, see. Gordon Hayward uh, goes to Charlotte and he signed for 120. So then that kind of opened it up. And all of a sudden, here's Jason Tatum and it's 195. And I, I'm with you. I, I went and watched him. I, I mean, it just seems like yesterday he was wearing a Chaminade uniform. And it just seems like yesterday he was in the booth. He was doing a charity function for kids. He came back to the clinic. Um, and he asked uh, the Cardinals, I think it was, maybe he threw out a first pitch or something. He came into the booth, an exceptionally nice young man. We talked off the air. I mean, could not have been any more gracious or humble. And so when you have those kind of stories, and I've talked to other people that know him well, say the guy just works his you-know-what off, and he deserves it. He earned it, so good for him. Just an absolute icon. I mean, people would stand outside the doors for hours just to get into the game to go watch him play, man. I mean, he's he is somebody that, growing up for me, I'm never going to forget all of those moments. Yep, well, you're going to get a lot of them now. He's going to be around for a long time, and good for Jason Tatum. So coming up, we're going to talk about uh, the Hall of Fame. And, you know, there, there's so many different ways to look at this, so... I want to break it down with Derek Gould about simply how the Hall of Fame vote works. You know, Derek Gould is a Hall of Fame voter. It's the Baseball Writers Association of America tied in with the Hall of Fame. And so how it works. And some of the guys I want to get into would be Scott Rowland, the future of Yadier Molina. So one of the angles I took and I want to take with this is if he goes to New York with the media scrutiny that's there and and but the amount of people that are there um 
if there was any questions that those guys could watch him, those those writers, the the men and women that cover the game there. I mean, there's a lot of people in New York watching him, and then they could really dive into his resume, not only watching him for the final two years, potentially, of his career, but then looking at what he's done. Um, so that's one thing. The steroid guys. Where are you with the steroid guys? And I, I like I... I've said this before. I geek out over this stuff. I think it's fascinating how certain members vote. Um, and once you're a Hall of Famer, you're a Hall of Famer. Once you're in, you're in. You know, it's not just, you know, like we were talking about Harold Baines. Harold Baines, you can debate whether or not you think he should be in. It doesn't matter. He's in. He's he's part of that elite group, that special group. Um, and and the other one is Kurt Schilling. So Kurt Schilling, right, I think he's around 70% of the vote right now. And if you look at how things have gone in the past, normal trajectories with this, he should get in. Now he's kind of a controversial figure for what he's done post-playing career. And, I, and I'm not getting into politics. It's just he's some people support him, some people don't. He's very boisterous about it. And um, he's been, let's just say, less than pleasant at times with his thoughts on writers. So we'll get into that with Derek Gould. I, I think it's going to be kind of fun to, to tie into that and see what he thinks. So Derek Gould is coming up on Baseball's Hall of Fame. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Let's talk it over with Derek Gould as we talk about the upcoming Hall of Fame ballot, which has been mailed out to the voters of the Baseball Writers Association of America, of which Derek was the president at one point and a proud member of, and the beat writer for the uh, St. Louis Cardinals on STL Today and the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. As always, Derek, great to catch up with you. How are things going? All right, Dan. Good to hear from you. Congratulations on your Emmy Award. Uh, Well-deserved. Good to hear. I'm I appreciate very excited that. for you. Thank you Is very that much. number 17? Is that right? Do no, I right? no, no. It's... No, it's just uh, I'm very proud of it, and it's uh, something that everybody, you know, in our industry strives for, and um, we work with great people, so I'll leave yeah. it at that. So let's let's talk about, and I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Let, let's yeah, talk no about the, the Hall of Fame. Um, mm-hmm. This is something that should be, in my opinion, you know, sacred for writers and sacred for Major League Baseball and sacred for those that get – the chance to go in I think you would agree with all that um so I, I just want to start with this because I, I think sometimes there's some misconceptions out there and how it works so who are the actual voters for uh the baseball hall of fame the actual voters for the baseball hall of fame are eligible members of the baseball writers association of america uh and what it takes to be eligible in it takes a being a member in good standing. It takes 10 um, consecutive years of being in the uh, organization to then qualify for a ballot consideration. Um, and then you have to uh, be active. Um, you have to actively be around the game, either in coverage or in some other, um, in some other capacity. Sure. Uh, you know, so you just have to, it, it, they don't want people who were, you know, 10 years as a baseball writer, um, some of which was on the beat, some of it wasn't. And then having a vote 20 years later when they're not around the game or, um, you know, there, there was there were some folks who cover golf or cover um, the Olympics who moved on from baseball. And it was like, well, if you're not actively 
engaged in covering the game, then let's rethink um, your active participant in voting on the Hall of Fame. So, um, the but the the, the the basic ones are 10 consecutive years. Um, that's a big thing for a baseball rider. People will probably see that on social media when riders get their 10 years and they and the first Hall of Fame ballot shows up. It's a pretty big deal. So how many riders are, are usually on that list to be able to write and eligible under that criteria? That's a great question. Um, you know, it's it I want to say that it's between 300 and 400. I don't know this year's number. Um, I do know that it was just less than 400 last year. So it's a it's a big number. And then when mm-hmm. you when you guys are are putting in your your checks on and it's literally like you get the ballot and you put a mm-hmm. check mark by it's not a hanging chad so let's not go there and we we've had enough no. I, I don't want to <laughs> I, we've had enough talking about recounts here um so you you yep. put you put your check on the box uh clearly le- legible how many votes do you get for the uh amount of people that are on the ballot so number 1 how many are on the ballot and then how many uh, players do you get to vote for? Um, okay, so real quick, last year there were 397 voters, just to let okay. you know. There were gotcha. 397. I looked that up because um, I actually have this year's ballot right here in my hand. Um, how many people are there on the ballot? Correct, players. There are 25 on this year's ballot. Okay. Um, that number can change. Um, to be, This is something that is also important, is to be eligible for the Hall of Fame ballot. You have to not only be retired for several years, five years, but you also have to have played for 10. So it's like, so that's actually something when like people go, well, he's a a Hall of Famer or he's a future Hall of Famer. When a player's in year seven of his career, it's like, well, not yet. No, he's not. You have to have 10 years. Um, That's actually a rule for the Hall, a minimum of 10 years of uh, playing in the majors. And then, you know, that, that number, you know, includes a bunch of different people who can have long careers in their, um, in their, you know, long careers in, in the majors. Uh, and then they're vetted to then get onto the ballot. Um, you, uh, so the 25, you can vote for at most 10, you can vote for fewer than 10, but you can vote for no more than 10. And, and you know, to be inducted into the hall of fame, be elected into the hall of fame, you uh, must have uh, received 75% of the vote. So last year that was 298 votes. And last year uh, we saw Larry Walker get in. He made an incredible Mm -hmm. jump. When you look at Larry Walker and his trajectory over the time that he was on the ballot, um, if you had to say he got in because of this and he started making a steady climb as it went through uh, the Mm -hmm. years, what would you point it to? I, is it Saber metrics? Was it a harder look at the analytics of the game? His all-around performance? Were there lesser players on the ballot? Was it the fact he wasn't a steroid guy? How do you how do you look at his trajectory as, as allowing him to get into the Hall of Fame? Which, by the way, I do think he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I've always thought he was a Hall of Famer. Um, I have uh, always voted for him, too. Uh, I, uh, I think there are two things. One is that there was a gradual ease of the ballot meaning that um you know that you know a lot of times you could have looked at the ballot over the last few years and gone there 13 14 15 deserving people but i can only vote for 10 and so you saw um you know some guys not get the support because 
when you when the hall asks you to vote for 10 and only 10 at most they're not asking you who are the hall of famers on the ballot they're asking you who are the worthiest hall of famers on the ballot and that's a terrible question but that's what you're left with and so people would rank however they would rank or come to a decision how they would do that as to how they would get their list of 12 or 13 or 15 you know deserving candidates down to 10. Um, I think because there was a you know a gradual ease of the candidates and thus you had more room on your 10 um, Larry Walker got more voters I also think a huge part of it is that my generation of writers started voting yeah um, I think that you know that people my age and slightly younger started getting ballots um, you know we were 10 years into our careers 10 11 12 um, we were getting those ballots and how we viewed Larry Walker, um, also how we approached the Coors Field question, was was less uh, was less of a factor for us than just a great player. Derek, I- I'm always curious when people say, "Well, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, but he wasn't unanimous." Um, and we all know that the the player is definitely a Hall of Famer. Uh, it's a slam dunk, right? He's going to yeah. go in, and yet he doesn't receive a vote or two from one of the voters. Why is that? Is that because they're saving the vote for somebody else, knowing that the other voters are going to vote them in, and they're saying, yeah. I'd rather give it to player X because he's on the fringe and I want to keep him on the ballot or I want to get him in? I, can you explain that to our listeners? I, I cannot because, I mean, I can tell you some of the reasons why, um, but I can also tell you why I, I think it's a little bit misleading. Um, you know, like – Derek Jeter fell one vote short. Short. I don't really know of a good reason why you'd leave Derek Jeter off. You bring up the point that some people game the ballot, which is true. Um, you know, I've done that where I have one more spot left and it's either going to go to, I didn't want to vote for one guy without voting for three guys. So if I only had one spot left, then how do I use that spot to the best advantage? And in the past, um, you know, at one point in time, I, I used that spot for Jim Edmonds. Um, because I felt that he deserved more of a conversation. Um, I decided early on, though, that I was not going to game the ballot and like not vote for Jeter or not vote for Ken Griffey because I wanted to be part of the chorus of acclamation. I wanted to be part of that, you know, groundswell that said this is a great player. I do not get hung up on. I'll, I'll ask it. Can I ask you a question, Dan? Oh, sure. Okay. So, what is the difference between Ted Simmons Hall of Famer and Derek Jeter Hall of Famer? They're both Hall of Famers. Once they're in, they, you're in. They both have a plaque. No one asks how they got there. That's right. No one, no one asks. You know, they're not putting on their – when they sign a card, it's not – you know, Jeter doesn't get to go HOF 99.7. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and Ted Simmons doesn't have to go HOF Veterans Committee. Right. It's HOF. That's HOF, right. It's immortality forever, and no one asks how you got there. And, you know, for some players, it's – a long time for some players it's there are players who are posthumous who who didn't get in until after their death um but for all players who are in there they are hall of famers and that title hall of famer in you know bestows an immortality that doesn't ask what your vote count was you're just there and i try to keep that in mind um i know that having gone to the cooperstown a few times having talked to hall of famers you know they see you know a few of them see a distinction with the first ballot 
Um, but I get that sense that it's less and less um, just in talking with some of the current round of players. Part of that is because of the voting trends. I think, you know, the fact that the players who are in right now all played against Bonds, all played against Clemens, all played against some of these other guys who they probably view as Hall of Famers and aren't yet in there, that it's changed that conversation a little bit as to, you know, yeah, Jeter set records for the, you know, are almost um, set records, I guess, um, almost tied a record, I guess I should say, um, for, you know, receiving votes. But the fact that he fell one short doesn't change his career doesn't change hall of fame it doesn't come with a few a one fewer vowel or an asterisk he he is the hall of famer and that's forever um so what people do with their ballots you're right i mean there there are people who think well he's not a first ballot hall of famer and thus i will never vote for him on the first ballot um i see less and less of that in voting trends there are people who game the ballot like you described um and then there are people who are just a little bit you know less i don't know they 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 have they have less of a motive um or or less of a clear-cut motive and why they do it they keep to themselves hey derek hang tight with us through the break because there's a lot i want to get into yadier molina uh scott Rowland, also the steroid guys and kurt schilling so we'll take a quick break and then uh get back into that more of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Let's continue our conversation with Derek Gould on a Monday morning. We're talking about the Hall of Fame and the ballots have been mailed to the voters. Derek is one of those voters from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. And Derek, I, w- I want to get into um, the steroid guys. and it-, it gets brought up every year. And it's the usual names of Bonds and Clemens and Gary Sheffield. Uh, there are some others that are there. Sammy Sosa, whether they have been implicated in uh, books or whatever the case may be, or articles or innuendo. But where are you with the steroid guys? There's the sportsmanship clause with this. But it's something that, that you have to tackle. So where are you in terms of voting with this? And, and maybe your colleagues as well. But the, the steroid uh, issue in voting for the Hall of Fame. When it became possible that I was going to get a ballot, I knew I had to think about this. Um, and my stance has been um, that if I have fewer than 10 who I think are deserving for their careers, then I will vote for all of the players that I think are deserving. If I have more than 10 that I feel are deserving with their careers, then I have to use the tools at my disposal to whittle that list down to 10. One of the tools at my disposal given to me by the Hall of Fame is that sportsmanship clause. Um, I only need to use it. You know, you don't need to use a hammer if there's not a you know nail coming out, right? You don't need to use a screwdriver unless the, the screw is loosened. But I need to use that tool when I have an excess amount of names to put on a 10-person ballot. And so that's when I do. Um, I make the choice to use that tool. My approach has always been that if I can't write an article about it, then I can't vote. The ballot goes with my name on it, just like an article, just like a byline. And so if I can't attribute, if I didn't feel comfortable writing something in the newspaper, then I shouldn't feel comfortable professing it on my ballot. This past year was the first time that I voted for Clemens and Bonds. That's because I had spots on my ballot. I had 
you know, two. Um, I, I had three. I had three spots on my ballot. And so uh, I voted for them because, and I had not in the past. Um, I had lopped them off. They, you know, I'd given them consideration, but I had more than um, 12 deserving candidates. So I had to make a call uh, or I had one spot and I didn't want to put one of them over the other. Uh, you know, there is neither of them has has admitted use. Um, Gary Sheffield has discussed his use. Right. Yeah. Um, and so he's in a little bit different category, a tremendous player, a Hall of Fame caliber per, per you know, player um, who. I think deserves consideration. Um, he has he has talked about his use accidental, um, but has been in more detail than the other two. Um, but there is a preponderance of evidence that you cannot ignore. And you could write an article about it. People have written articles. Books have been written about those two. And, you know, I have to respect my colleagues in that way. So those are the standards that I use. Um, we- sorry. Go, well, yeah. well I, I'm also curious then when you have a guy like Kurt Schilling, who's mm-hmm. on the ballot, and this is non-steroid issues, um, right. You know, we're talking about a guy that is um, whether or not you believe in his political beliefs is is kind of divisive, not kind of. Mm-hmm. He's divisive in that regard. So mm-hmm. whether you believe in it or not, how do you as a voter or your colleagues, how do you separate what he's done post playing career with his um, his political stuff? and then just look hard at what he did as a player. And he's at, I think, 70% of the vote mm-hmm. going in. Correct. Which, and his trajectory would then, like most guys, they say, well, if you're at 70, you're probably you're you're, you're going to get yep. in. You're going to get the votes. Yep. So yep. it's really, you know, that's an interesting case study too, I think, with Kurt Schilling. Yeah. So Kurt Schilling is a, is, is a difficult personality to deal with. Um, but for me, not a difficult vote to deal with. Um, so when I set forth to look at the ballot, um, I found that it was really difficult to distinguish between Kurt Schilling, Mike Messina, and John Smoltz. Um, I carved up their numbers a bunch of different ways. I looked at them through different lenses. I talked to different people. And more and more, I, I found it hard to differentiate how one of those three was a hall of famer and not all of those three or two of those three were hall of famers and not all three. And I continue to look back at that research and go over those numbers. And I continue to arrive at the same thing. Um, my, you know, now, you know, John Smoltz is on TV and people know him well. Um, you know, that's his post career. Mike Mazzina, probably a little quieter, but everybody knows. And most people who know Mike Messina are very fond of Mike Messina. Um, for his character and, you know, for how he went about it. Um, Kurt Schilling has made noise off the field, um, most notably where he appeared to share and promote uh, violence against journalists, which is revolting and despicable and dishonest and, you know, um, just just awful. Um, I find I find it vulgar and unprofessional and all the words that I use to describe him he won't get to call me those because I voted for him and I am going to do with my ballot what he thinks reporters don't and I'll prove him wrong that way 
And, and I think he's going to get in. Would you agree? Yeah, I think he probably does get in, you know, and his speech will be memorable. And I look forward to him having to thank the same journalist that he threatened. I think from a local perspective, a lot of people look at Yadier Molina. And I was thinking about this, um, and I'm very curious, as it pertains to if he went to New York, the amount of media attention and the writers, so many writers are in New York, if that mm-hmm. would make some of those guys, that, if they are on the fringe, and gals, if they are on the fringe of looking at him as a Hall of Fame caliber type player, they'd get a couple of years of looking at him hard, looking at the not only the player for the two years, but then looking at the full body of work, the resume of, of his work, if that would enhance or put the final nail in the coffin. I, to me, the 2000th hit was it. He's in. But I wonder, Derek, mm. just looking at it from a different perspective, if that would help his cause for the Hall of Fame. I don't, I don't necessarily think so, um, to be honest. Uh, I do understand what you're saying in, in, in regards to the number of voters there. So um, it's sort of a common misconception that there is sort of this East Coast bias when it comes to some of the awards. Uh, you know, the MVP, the Cy Young and everything like that. Well, they have they don't have any more votes in those cities than we have in St. Louis. You know, New York, you know, is a chapter and has two votes for the National League MVP. St. Louis is a chapter, has two votes for the National League MVP. Uh, So, you know, those are definitely more, you know, done by state. They're they're somewhat to borrow a current phrase, somewhat like the Electoral College. Right. Gotcha. Um, It's by state. Right. Um, The Hall of Fame is different because you're right. It's scattered and it's not um, it's it's it can be more of a popular vote type of thing. And if there are more long serving baseball riders on the East Coast, and there are because they're population centers, um, then you'd see a tilt. However, I will caution people. There are a lot of voters in St. Louis. There are a lot. Um, there are there. It, it St. Louis's number of voters far outpaces its per capita, um, as you'd expect. Part of that is because of the sporting news. Um, so many members of the sporting news, because the sporting news was written into the BBWA con- uh, constitution as members, are longstanding members of the BBWA who remain active around the game or in some way, um, you know, can petition the Hall of Fame to stay active as a voter. And so St. Louis has quite a few, you know, voters. Um, you know, the, the newspaper obviously has Rick and myself. Um, you know, Bernie Miklas is a voter. Uh, there are others um, here who have ties to the Post-Dispatch who are voters still in St. Louis. Um, but the sporting news really bulks it up. I will also add to that that, that Yadier Molina has done okay in Queens and has made an impression. <laughs> good point. That's <laughs> a good point. Um, he, he is not an, – and, you know, Yadier Molina has a reputation with the Yankee beat writers and the Yankee culture too – um, because, you know, he's got the ties. Obviously, he's from Puerto Rico. And there are a lot of Molina fans that um, there's a Venn diagram there of of people who pay attention and know what Yadier Molina has done. Um, I think that um, I think that being a Cardinal is a booster for him um, because the Cardinals are part of that. Uh, baseball royalty, you know, the crown jewel organization sure. that that helps him that it would be different if, you know, if Yadier Molina will just borrow a, a, a recent example, 
it would be different if Yadier Molina were having the career that he's having, even with the championships with the Colorado Rockies. Right. And then you'd be like, oh, well, you know, go to New York. That might boost his signal a little bit for the Hall of Fame. It might. It might because, you know, they'd get more attention. Um, he would do it in a different ballpark. Um, you know, he 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 uh, he'd be on TV more. You know, I mean, how long, how many, how many times have the Cardinals been on Sunday night baseball in his career? Right. How many times have, have the Rockies been on Sunday night baseball in Nolan Arenado's career? Is it one? Right, right. I mean, is that right? Yeah. Isn't it one? I yeah. think so. I mean, and it's probably what, 45 or more right. for, for Molina. So, and the postseason appearances and the national TV correct. exposure there. Yeah. That's a good yeah, point. I don't, and the world baseball classic. Yep. I don't, I don't think, uh, I don't think Yadier Molina's clue, Q rating is lacking, and and I don't think that going to New York will alter um, his Hall of Fame candidacy, except for the fact that it would mean some of the papers up there would constantly refer to him as a Hall of Famer or and, future Hall of Famer, and then eventually it's a self fulfilling prophecy. And then my final question: I watched this guy play in the prime of his career. I do believe he's a Hall of Famer. Scott Rowland, you got it. And he's at roughly, I think, what, 23, 25%, like in that area. But he's 35. 35, that's right. He jumped from there. Um, mm -hmm. And so he's kind of going on the Larry Walker trajectory here. And I do think younger voters are looking at sabermetrics. And I can't imagine what this guy would be like in the shift now if, if teams shifted. I mean, it'd be a 6'4, six, 6'5 six, shortstop with the range of some of the best shortstops in the game. So. Yeah. And his his numbers are really good offensively. I, I think he's a Hall of Famer. So mm -hmm. I'm curious what you think about his trajectory and trying to get to the Hall of Fame. I think he is like the guy he sat next to many, many years ago when Larry Walker was the MVP and Scott Rowland was the rookie of the year. I think Scott Rowland will be a Hall of Famer. Um, just looking at these numbers um, I think it's going to take some time like it did for Larry Walker. Right. Um, you know, the ballot is going to ease quite a bit this year. I mean, significantly. Um, and then, you know, this is the ninth year for Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling, and Sammy Sosa. So they get 10 years on the ballot, 10. Um, and then after that, it thins really quickly. Um, whereas Scott Rowland is in his fourth year. Um, he is not the highest vote getter of his class. Um, the guys who are on their fourth year are Andrew Jones, Scott Rowland, and Omar Vizquel. Of that group, Vizquel has 50%. Um, I have not voted for Vizquel, so I guess I'll have to take a look as to what I'm missing that other voters are, are seeing. Um, but I have voted for Andrew Jones, and I have voted for um, Scott Rowland, and I will continue to vote for them. Um, you know, I guess I was one of 77 people to vote for Andrew Jones this past year. Um, but I think it's just going to take time. Um, but I think it's going to happen. I think he's going to see a steep increase within the next three years that, that either could bring him in or uh, put him right on the verge. Hey, Derek, this was fun. Thanks for doing this, and uh, have a great Thanksgiving. Stay safe and healthy with you and your family, and uh, I really appreciate you doing this. We'll catch up soon. Looking forward to it, Dan. Thanks. Hopefully uh, hopefully that was a good conversation for folks to understand, and if they have other questions, I'm not really hard to find. I'm 
happy to talk about it. Really fun stuff to talk about the Hall of Fame. I get into it. I kind of geek out on it. I think Scott Rowland's a Hall of Famer. I think Yachty's a slam dunk. I don't think there's any question about it. But you never know until you get in. But uh, appreciate the time with Derek Gould of the Post-Dispatch. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Thanksgiving week, BK has the day off, and so it'll be Alex and Jamie Rivers coming up on the program as we cross it over. Many thanks to Derek Gould. A lot of talk about uh, the Hall of Fame and some baseball talk will continue, Alex, in your show. And you've got a guy that, uh, let's just say he's fairly opinionated and gets after it a little bit. That's David Sampson. Yep, the former president of baseball operations for the Marlins. And we've had him on Rivers and BK in the past. And uh, let's just say a lot of great tidbits came away when David joined us. And <laughs> I'd say there's a lot to talk about right now in baseball, which is true. But oh, there's always stuff to talk about. David's going to make that even more yeah. so today at 1 o'clock. So make sure you tune into that. we got some great baseball topics. Hockey, which a couple of uh, pieces of information just came out about the season. So uh, we'll get into that as well. Awesome. Looking forward to it. So Alex and Rivs coming up. Scotty, great job. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast powered by I Promise.